intro thing already, and I, this way I gotta take copious amounts of notes. I need to take this Either way, we're back, and uh, this week we are uh, ASCAP. All suplex cops are bastards, and uh, I am joined tonight by the suplex cop himself, Pete Zapardi. Uh, promoter of Pizza Party Pro, Dan Dromeda. Is there any other names I'm forgetting here that I don't? Uh, no, I think from? I think that's it. I should get a few more, but I'm, I'm good sure. for now with those three. I would think I would I'm, think I'm, that you uh, have. Oh, go ahead. Oh, Suplex Cop actually uh, retired and became a park ranger because you know uh, it's not. Uh, he doesn't really agree with what's going on these days. Sure, I can't blame him. Can't blame him. Yeah. Um. I was oh that was it I was gonna start out and say uh, this podcast is scheduled for one fall even though I think oh. it's already winter, um, but I forgot that one. Uh, That's all right. Either next time. Yeah, either way, either way, uh, Dan. Like I said, or like I'm already referencing here, former host of the Suplex or the Sports Entertainment Shrinks. I think I was a maybe once or two time guest. You've been previous guest of maybe this podcast, maybe another podcast that I've done in the past. Either way, I've I've, I've done uh, I've done at least one or two. Yeah, I'm I'm doing great. I'm uh, you know ready for for Thanksgiving. I don't know when this is going to air, so if, if it's after Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving was great, probably. Yeah, it's uh, it'll come out probably before. I'll probably get this done. I'm okay, cool. Thanks tonight or tomorrow. All right. Either way. Either yeah. way. Um, luckily for me, I'm doing I'm doing okay. I've got uh, the the positive thing here is that we're reviewing the AEW pay per view from days ago. Uh, nice and easy, right? Uh, I like to get the get guests on to talk about it because it's like one of the things that me and Quentin talk about that a lot of like, I guess people who aren't following Japanese indies and every little stupid Southern indie and all the weird stuff that we talk about um, actually watches. Um, and then also because it's been a while, I've been I've let my brain marinate and stew in all the terrible takes uh, that are out there, and I'm just ready to go off on how fucking ridiculous people are crazy on their opinions of this show. I mean, it's like from the gambit of me hearing some people saying that this show had multiple match of the years, multiple match of the year contender matches on it to people outright saying that the entire show stunk. And I just, I was like, this is like kind of a middle of the road show. I don't know. What did you think? Yeah, I I would say that I, it's funny. As you mentioned, you've had time for your takes to stew. I've had time to, I was thinking today, anything that is still sticking with me from what I watched on Saturday night must be really memorable because uh, that's a long show. I uh, I always struggle when I watch an AEW pay-per-view, not because I don't enjoy it, just because it's so long. And there's like probably three or four matches I am tuning in to watch, and those are all, of course, spread out across the you know five and a half hour or or, or whatever it is uh, broadcast that it was. So it's always. It's always a, it feels like a chore for me, but I just don't watch as much, uh, uh, and I don't keep up with the week to week product. So I feel like I'm always like, uh, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah, no, it's incredibly long, like just yeah. insane how long the show is. Um, it's just like impossible. There, again, there's a bit, maybe a bit too much on here. I think would be putting it, putting it lightly. A lot of stuff worth skipping. And I don't know if you watched the pre-show. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't judge whatever. Um, I did but like, zero hour, right? That's what it's called. Yeah. Zero hour. Any of the three matches on the zero hour. I think if you put them on the pay-per-view, they would be a top three match on the show. Like that's yeah, another I, part of it that I think is. 
is kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I agree. I I thought it. I think it's strange that for two pay per views in a row, Eddie Kingston has been in the match I wanted to see most on the show, and it was the on the pre show. And yeah. um it's almost. I don't know why I stick with with it through because I'm like, well, Eddie Kingston wrestled. I'm good. I got yeah. my wrestling fix for the for the week. I'm I'm all set yeah. now. But I I stick through. You could just watch it on YouTube and be done with it, you know? Just, yeah. all right, cool, I'm out of here and don't have to worry about the pay-per-view. This is, again, just an incredibly, like, open it up, the pre-show, three matches that are all worth watching. I mean, the 10-man tag, you know, it can be your taste, whatever. I thought it was pretty good for what it was. Starks exactly. and Hobbs was was authentically great, and then Kingston and June is what it is. And then the first two matches when the show starts are like, you know, depending on your, on your taste, are either great or at least like super emotional and like just high intensity and you may or not love them or whatever, but either way. And then after that, it's just like, okay, why, why does this show now go for another six hours? Why does the show continue on for as long as it does after that, when you've basically already hit the high points of the night pretty, pretty quickly, it only took you about an hour and a half to get through the the best stuff of the night. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, even as I look through like the notes that I uh, I took for this show, uh, I'm I'm just surprised at how many how many matches I'm looking at. I know they only do four pay per views a year, but to see all of these matches yes. and for, as a wrestling fan who used to watch, you know the the both of the you know the WWE shows, Raw and SmackDown, and and sometimes the main event, and keep up on the website. And this, I don't know. This still maybe I'm I'm a jaded wrestling fan, but this feels like. Just so much stuff to keep track of. This is so many matches that I'm supposed to be excited about. And again, maybe it's Jaden Wrestling fan, maybe it's not. But I, I, uh, I don't have, I can't be excited about all of this. That's why, again, as I said before, I, I picked and choose or pick and chose what I was, uh, yeah. what I was into. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've tempted, been tempted, dabbled a bit in just completely checking out on AEW to the point that I am with WWE because because it is as you talk about it's so much here and it's so much that's not necessarily for me and what my taste is even though I did like a lot of this I think Quentin had the right idea I had a bit of a uh I guess I should give the the full (laughs) the full backstory here so Dan unfortunately just to be honest you're I, I gotta I gotta you know, applaud that you're here. It came down to it, me and you, but you were not the, the original guest that we were going to have on. Uh, That's okay. We even actually announced who the guest was going to be on the last episode. And then unfortunately, Maxwell Bombach was going to be on and uh, just got busy with the, you know, with the, the basketball coverage. I think he was being nice saying that he would come on and do this because we missed when we were supposed to do it a couple months ago. And he was like, yeah, I'll make it work. And then I think once it really came down to it, it wasn't going to happen. Then Quentin, you know, drops out last minute, not feeling well. He's not here tonight. And I was thinking, I was like, you know, if it's going to be just me and Dan, it's kind of, I was, I, you know, I'm not, I, I, we haven't interacted. I haven't heard you do a podcast in a while, this kind of stuff. I'm like, Dan's kind of goofy and joking around. I'm kind of same way. We need to get like a smart, serious guy on to take Quentin's spot. Um, And then I was like, but anybody who's smart was smart enough to have not watched this full show. So I'm not going to be able to find anybody (laughs) to fill in. For for Quentin, because it's just, yeah, anybody who actually is intelligent is like, yeah, this is not worth watching the whole show. Um, so that's where we ended up at here. And and again, I apologize, Dan. I, obviously, I wanted to have you on as a guest anyways, eventually here. Uh, just got moved up a little bit quicker because of, of basketball, I guess. 
I will happily take second string to Maxwell any any day of the week. That's good. That guy's a, a fantastic uh, guest host on a podcast. So yeah, happy to be second string there. Right. Well, we kind of got into the show quicker than I meant to. Usually we kind of maybe bullshit around and talk about news and stuff like that. I don't really care too, too much. And I don't know how much you really follow everything, but we can talk a bit about what you've been up to. So I mentioned pizza party. You're promoting, you know, promoting a wrestling show. Um, Got a, got a show coming up uh, relatively soon. I think you guys are in, in promotion mode. It's within a month or striking distance to a month coming up here. Um, Obviously, I mentioned podcasts you've done in the past, at least one, and I know you did some other stuff after that. But uh, what's up with the uh, the wrestling and podcasting and, I don't know, any other endeavors you've been getting up into? Um, been, uh, I've been, well, I guess the most important thing first. We're like a month out from uh, the Restivals, the, the second ever Restival up in uh, Worcester, Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, excited to be back for that. We were on the first one uh, last year. We will be returning with uh, other great promotions like uh, ICW and uh, Limitless and Prestige all the way over from your neck of the woods, sort of. Um, and we're, we're kicking things off with a, a show that's paying homage to community called Pop Pop. And uh, it's going to be it's going to be a hoot, a, a dang hoot, if you will. Yeah, magnitude all-time uh, community character. Almost. Magnitude is an like all-time remember. community character. Uh, tried to uh, yeah. to get Luke Youngblood to make an appearance, but no such luck. Nah, not happening. Eh, that's fair enough. I see. I'm looking yeah. through here. I see. I see. You got Tony Deppin announced. Obviously, that's always a big deal. Um, and I see Lufisto. Lufisto. Ah, Lufisto. Look at me versus Candy Copeland, which is, I mean, or Ken, what is it? Kennedy Copeland, right? Yeah. Um. Yes. And I don't know how many people are familiar with Kennedy Copeland, but in Pizza Party, that's kind of a that's kind of a big deal matchup just with how popular Kennedy is in Pizza Party and the character that she plays there going up against Lou Fisto, who's kind of a, a all time legend. I think we're at that point. You could talk about Lou Fisto as a legendary female wrestler, women's wrestler. You know, I've seen her a bunch. And you mentioned Prestige there. I'm actually going to see Prestige when they come back here to LA area in, in December or January, I think. I've gone to a couple of their shows. But uh but okay. yeah, that's a uh, that's a big match on uh in in the world of Pizza Party. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, maybe one of the biggest we've ever done. And uh I think it it's cool. It's it's a dream match for Kennedy Copeland. It's a it's a very cool match on on paper between, you know, people with hardcore backgrounds, uh, very talented women's wrestlers. And it's going to be cool to see them collide uh, at, in, in especially such a, an important building for independent wrestling, the white Eagle in, uh, in Massachusetts at, during new year's weekend. It's going to be awesome. I'm, I'm excited for it. I don't really know if it's going to be like straight up in the ring or if they're going to, you know, beat each other with trash cans. I don't know which way it'll go, but I'm excited either way. I mean, they'll probably take it all over the place, but yeah, yeah. it's going to be be something to check out. One thing, you guys, when you get these IWTV kind of weekends and you guys are on them, I feel like they, they give you guys the opening slot. And I feel like you're, I mean, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but it just does not seem like the right place for Pizza Party. You guys should be getting a little bit higher on the, on the docket of shows, man. You guys are the first show of the weekend, but how do you feel about that? Because... We've talked about it in the past uh, when there was the was it like a family reunion WrestleMania weekend? You guys were the opening show um, for like the IWTV thing. And you kind of set the tone and probably ended up having what a lot of people considered the match of the weekend, even after 
uh, with uh, Makabe versus Yehai. So how do you feel still kind of being that opening? And would you do you guys just prefer it at this point because you get to set the tone like that? I think so. The the thing you're referring to is our first show. That was sort of we were unaffiliated with IWTV. It sort of worked out that we were the the kickoff to WrestleMania weekend with our first show. But with last year's Wrestle, we were in the kickoff slot as sort of a late addition. This year, uh, we were offered a different spot, and for whatever reason, I I felt compelled to say no. I like the setting the tone pace that we have. We're we're fun, and and I think uh, everything we do is super lighthearted and like energetic. So I, I, I feel like for a three day weekend, we can set the tone nicely and, and maybe hopefully get everybody uh, fired up for what is going to be, I think one of the most fun wrestling weekends of the year. Nice. All right. Yeah. I, I gotta agree with you there. And you're right. Like, I think that you guys being somewhat lighthearted, fun, easy, cool vibe it is a good way to set the tone and, and maybe not burn people out instantly but you can still you have delivered again in the past as i said you guys have delivered great matches um speaking of delivering great matches in pizza party there is uh there is something i just saw i'm kind of scrolling through your uh your twitter and maybe it's unrelated but it does seem like it's coming up here i'm seeing something it's a like a technical difficulty and it just happens to have a, a recent return to the wrestling business in uh Demoris, Demoris, and uh, his old tag team with uh, the Oswald Project. And what are the chances that that team uh, shows back up or possibly shows up here on uh, Pizza Party in, in the time soon? Do you have any any inkling, or is it just completely off the table? Uh, I believe Matt Demoris will will come back to Pizza Party one day. We've we've gone back and forth about how we would both love to work with one another again. I've known him for a long time, and. Uh, truth be told, is probably in my top ten favorite wrestlers of all time. So any chance I get to to work with him, uh, yeah, you know, definitely jumping at that. Oswald Project, I don't know. Last I heard, he was learning to scuba. So I'm not really sure where where he's at or if he's still on this uh, this plane of Earth. But um, gotcha. Yeah, but I, I would love to have Oswald Project back in any capacity. He almost uh, made an appearance a couple months ago, but just uh, you know. I, I couldn't uh, I couldn't uh, get him to to show up. So and it wasn't you know what? he's a busy guy, Mister Product. He he's uh, he's always on the move. <laughs> yeah. Well, either way, definitely two of the honestly you talked about Demoris being one of your you know top ten all time favorites or whatever. And I hard to argue. I think a lot of people maybe don't take it seriously if they're not going back and, and checking out all the stuff that he did in the backyard setting. Uh, I know that, you know, you're one of the vocal evangelists of that. A lot of really quality work <laughs> that came out of there. Um, you know, I mentioned Fred Yehi, but if people want to go look up some old Fred Yehi stuff, people wonder like, oh, this guy was so good. The second he started, you know, became a pro wrestler. How was he so good? It's like, oh, yeah. Well, if you go back and watch all the tape of him, you know, backyard wrestling for years before he became a pro or whatever. Uh, yeah. Demoris is phenomenal. Oswald Project, same thing. The guy is just so good and so interesting and unique and two talents who I thought really shined in pizza party because of your connection to them going back there. And then also just the wrestlers that they became in more of a pro setting. Another one too, obviously who people probably see a lot more who I think I maybe first saw in pizza party, big F and Vin, right. Uh, who's yeah, now yeah, kind of all over the indie scene. And another guy who's came from the connection to the backyards and, and worked in a, in pizza party. So, um, any other, as I guess, let's transition to that. Who should people be looking out for that you're possibly having on Pizza Party coming up soon? Or 
already are booked or you're looking to get them on a show at some time soon. Who's the, who's kind of bubbling underneath your, I kind of know you are always keeping your eye out like that. Um, somebody that we have had on almost all of our shows since the pandemic has been brother greatness. And he's somebody who I think people are starting to see more of on wrestling open. I think he's just a, a tremendous talent. And whenever I'm asked this question, he's the first person that comes to mind. He's somebody that, I think he knows how to take every opportunity as in a ring and, and make it memorable and make it stand out. He's got such good timing in the ring, like from a physical and, and comedic standpoint. Um, he's somebody, I know his gimmick is uh, sort of something that would, you know, some people may stay away from because it's religious in nature, but uh, you know, I think pizza party is, is a place you wouldn't expect that to fit. And he fits in like a glove. So I think sometimes you have to, you know, let go of your biases and you, throw somebody in the environment and you can see, you know, just how incredible they are in, you know, in terms of an entertainment value. And and I think he's one of those people. Nice. I'll have to admit that I'm not, uh, I definitely, if he's been on your shows that much, I've probably seen him and just don't recall at the moment. So I'll have to uh, go back and take some, take some looks or maybe the second I see him, I'll remember exactly who it is. It looked familiar right now when I was looking at the, uh, the match announcement there for him. But, for him uh, versus Eli O'Neill, which I think again, two yeah. very underrated but uh, very talented in the ring in, in a variety of ways. So I think that one should be should be fun. And then I guess somebody who has not yet made it to Pizza Party, but I've been seeing them in in bits and pieces, and and I, I watched a match of theirs recently. But Desmond Cole, who's been popping up on on uh, Beyond and Limitless, I think he's somebody who has a, a very exciting offense, and I think people should be anticipating especially after rest of the weekend that that's somebody that will be uh a, a name people are talking about going into 2023 all right well thank yeah thank you that's that's more for me anybody listening appreciate that you know like uh go ahead and, and check that out but that's for me just people that i need to go out of my way to look for because yeah I'm always i don't even know personally that's just a that's a plug of somebody who as a wrestling fan has caught my eye that's not like you know anything you know it's just something i noticed and figured i'd share yeah, perfect. Thanks. Um, all right, Dan. I guess we'll unless there's anything else you want to hit on before we we just do it. Let's get through this show. It's a long show. I don't think we need to talk about everything. It's been talked about enough, but we can break down some stuff. Um, okay, sounds good. Is there is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into it official? Like, let's uh let's dive in. Let's kick it into right. full gear, shall we say? Oh, look at that! You are in the. I can't be really the first person the to make that joke, but I hope I'm no. The best. Well, I would hope, I would hope so. I would hope, but you know, yeah. unfortunately, it'll probably still be uh, making the rounds on the uh, the up, upstate circuits through the Catskills for the next fifteen years or so. Um, <laughs> either way, open up uh, zero hour. We've got the best friends with a sneaky special. Oh, the best friends with a uh, uh, sneaky Rocky Romero. Obviously, everyone knows him, but a very, very evil, very secretive uh, mystery partner going up against the factory. Aaron Solo, Cole Carter, Lee Johnson, Nick Camarado, Mr. Freak Beast himself and uh, QT Marshall. Um, I don't know why I listed all the people there like it matters, I guess, because I wanted to look at the names and talk about it with you a little bit that like the factory People kind of write them off as just like this undercard dark goon heel stable. But like everybody I just mentioned there is a fucking solid ass wrestler. And I think that the Cole Carter hate that I hear people talk about is kind of weirdly unwarranted. 
I think people just have like this weird like rage boner for that guy for no fucking reason. I guess just because he was part of a stupid thing in NXT and then showed up here or whatever. But but yeah, I mean, like, I think it's weird. I think that we're a lot of stuff is developing more and more in AEW and you're actually seeing like there being a lore and a backstory and history and that actually like become something. And the factory is still at the beginning part where like it's a core group of guys and they've all just been there and they are like whatever scrubs who are, you know, solid led by a solid hand who's getting them better. But what's going to happen is over time, these guys are going to graduate out of the factory and move on to other things. And then new scrubs are going to replace them. Like that's the part that I don't understand how people don't see. Like this is not going to be a static thing. It's just like, it's a means to an end. Either way, the match is fun. Have you seen, I'm sorry. You know what? I, I just went on that diatribe. Feel free to comment if you have anything to add. I, I really all I was gonna say is I yeah I, in in theory I really like this idea of having a thing where you can you know slowly start to incorporate people that are 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 ready or you think are ready for the big time see how they land and then you know yeah slowly over time you'll have you'll be kicking guys out or guys will be getting too big for it and sure enough yeah you just keep cycling people in and I I, I think it I think in the long run it'll be cool and I think it AEW is still new enough but I think there's gonna come a time where people say like. Oh my God! Look, this is you know a main event of All Out, and these guys were all from the factory, just like you know that eventually right. happened with NXT. So it you know this thing will take time. I think I think wrestling fans uh, are are ready to throw stones before you know anything's even dropped. Like everybody's everybody's ready to throw a stone, and uh, this is a situation where yeah, again, let it marinate over time. It'll it'll be something cool. Yeah, I mean we're or already starting to barely. But- yeah (laughs) yeah we're already barely starting to see this thing that we've i've been talking about for a while and it it came up on the scrum where it's like all the champions are kind of right now are kind of aew original acts now finally and it's been a long time coming but it's it's here you know and it's like oh yeah the people who were killing them about why is jericho the champion blah 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 why is this person the champion and this and that it's like okay we'll give it time and they'll build and it takes time to build stars and and but it is happening so either way, uh, how were you familiar with Danhausen, like Donovan Danhausen before he was even like did the face paint and all that? Do you remember back then? No, I, I came into Danhausen when he was, you know, Dan, you know, very evil Danhausen. Yeah, he uh, he wrestled as Donovan Danhausen. God, the Internet even says that he was like Donovan Danger, which I don't remember. I I really only knew of him somewhat because he wrestled um, some like FIP shows and he wrestled in some places in Texas. And I always have to give credit to my old buddy, Pete Shue, who you've been on the podcast with us back in the day. Uh, He would expose me to Texas Indies. And that's where I would first see someone like a Danhausen early on. And he was a guy that was like, oh, you know, solid, whatever. And he came out here and and basically he did like a hybrid of both things, which is that he was always a solid enough in-ring wrestler. But at that time, it was kind of like, oh, he's got no personality and like he'll never really make it because he doesn't have any aura. He just kind of does the moves, you know, and then like now having the character, the Danhausen character mixed with the actual serious wrestler guy was like kind of awesome to see on a big stage and be like, holy shit, like this is the next level of this. And it's perfect timing because you know people were going crazy for years and it especially got worse during the pandemic of like the meme wrestler oh everyone all these meme wrestlers and i 
uh, you know, pizza party might be <laughs> might have fallen into that category. As far as some people were concerned, they might have said pizza party was a meme wrestler kind of a place. I don't know if you guys ever booked Dan the dad, but, you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, then like to see Dan Housen kind of transition from the meme thing is dead. And now we could take this and, and do something. And the crowd is still super invested and hit some big spots and the crowd goes fucking nuts. But uh, but yeah, what did you think of uh, Dan Housen? And that'll kind of be it was it, it was awesome that... about the match. Oh, no, I mean, I, I think Dan Housen's really the highlight for me, uh, especially he came in so hot, hit so many, so many fun looking Germans. And yeah, it pulled me in. I was, you know, sort of half paying attention. And by, by the end, when Dan Housen, his presence sort of commanded my full attention. And I, as you just explained very well, that it was thinking about what people sort of, again, indicted him with meme wrestler. And, and he shows, uh, yeah, no, thanks. I'm actually pretty decent in there. And it was great. It, and again, it I always like matches like this because you now see, okay, Dan Housen, where can we take Dan Housen from here? Where's Dan Housen going to go? What's next for him? Because now you're excited about it. And, you know, this is sort of, a, a, you know, a whatever, you know, not, not super high stakes match. But now, again, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm reinvested in Dan Housen as a, a casual AEW viewer. What What's next for, for Dan Housen? So I think they did a good job uh, making him feel very important here. Yeah. And, and yes, I think that uh, if there's anybody, you know, who can say if he was snapping off some, some regulation suplexes, I think you would, uh, you would be, you would be, be me. yeah. I mean, I guess they're no longer, it's not like a, a, a legal thing. It's a, what it was, a, I guess, regular, regular, yeah, regulations. It's a, do they pass the, uh, the, the safety wildfire, uh, regulations? Um, but uh, but yeah, and you know you got the suplexes and that whole vibe, and you've got the recent pairing with Hook. I mean, this Danhausen going up against Hook in a battle of the suplex, you know, suplex twinks is definitely uh, something that would be worth worth checking out. Um, yeah, yeah. Ricky, they gotta they gotta bring me in to be a guest referee for that. Yeah, only way. Yeah. Um, Ricky Starks versus Brian Cage. This is the semifinal for this AEW World Title Eliminator Tournament. Um, Obviously, really good because Ricky Starks is fucking phenomenal. Continues to be yeah. great. Um, I've been loving him as a heel here in AEW, but now he can really shine because he's always been to me. To me, at least, I've always thought he's a better babyface, just natural charisma. You fucking amazing seller. You naturally want to root for the guy you like him. He can still be cocky, and you know, there a lot of people get painted with that brush of like, Oh, this person's like trying to be like the rock or whatever. And Ricky, it seems to come kind of natural. He's got like a flamboyant edge to him and that kind of thing. But yeah, definitely one of those guys who could be a shit talker, but also you can get, you can, he can be vulnerable and you get behind him and you like him, you know, it's just natural for him. Um, And yeah, this was really great cage cage coming back and being in the right role. is kind of been a revelation because he feels like a guy that was written off talking his shit, angry online, you know, mad online, complaining, getting his wife to, you know, to talk about how as yummy his dick is and all this stuff. Um, and then he comes back and now he's in the right place and he feels completely reinvigorated and feels more like the cage that I actually used to enjoy watching in PWG, you know, like it's kind of cool to see as we do get, you know, <laughs> the scrum, I keep referencing the scrum, people asking in the scrum about what's up with Andrade and Miro and Tony Khan says, you know what, I'm not going to talk about it, whatever. It's totally different situations, this and that. You know, I like these guys. I want to work with them in the future. And it's the same thing with Cage. If he just, if Tony just wrote Cage off when he was talking shit online and said, fuck it, you want release, you're out of here. Go back to Impact, you know, and do whatever you're doing back there. 
um, you wouldn't have this. And now you've got this guy back in your fold. And it just shows, it, like I said, it's a good sign to see that that's how AEW's business is going to be run, that these people can be upset, but that doesn't mean that they're gone. That doesn't mean that they're just going to get out of here and that they're never going to get pushed again. Um, and that's a, that's a lot more than just talking about the match and probably taking too long to talk about the zero hour. But like I said, I've actually kind of cared more about the zero hour than the, than the pay-per-view itself. But uh, Dan, what are your thoughts on, on kind of everything there and the match? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, love Ricky Starks. I think he's definitely, and, and as you, to your point, you said, uh, I think he's comes across very organic and without trying to be the rock, he has sort of rock energy. And if, if, and I, and I feel like to you know, his own credit, he, he has his own Ricky Starks energy. Like I know, I know we're going to get, and I'm always sort of excited to see what he's going to say. Or we're, we're doing the ring. I agree. He's, he's somebody that's fun to watch in, in an era where I feel like, very quickly you can grow tired of somebody because you see, you know, sort of everything about them almost way too quickly. But I feel like watching Ricky Starks over the years and, and watch him get to this point, it's awesome to see. Like, if you ask me, I think, you know, Ricky Starks versus MJF is, is what they should do at winter is coming. I think, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity to test Ricky Starks as your big baby face of, of AEW. And I know he's probably not going to beat MJF, but I think it, it you know, if this is the first of maybe many attempts for for Ricky Starks to to get the belt, I think M- MJF and him are probably perfect uh, uh, pair and for one another there. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, and, and oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Uh, and and for Cage, I I agree. I think definitely like I, I was a huge huge Lucha Underground fan, and I felt I went into Lucha Underground as a as a big fan of of Brian Cage and. Once I I watched them sort of always sort of shoehorn him into something where I was like okay but like now I don't I've, again I've, I've just seen everything he can do and after a few matches I'm like all right whatever like I I like him but you know somebody like that if they're around all the time it they don't feel as special but if he's gonna you know pop up and do something you know and if he's there and he's in this role for guys like Ricky Starks or you know dominating people for a stretch and then. You know, he gets beat and he goes away for a while. I feel like that's going to help Brian Cage. You know, we're not going to get, you know, sick of him. He's going to be able to shine and do his thing. And, and again, he's somebody that will feel special the more sparingly he's used, I think. Yeah, it was really interesting because I completely agree with you on all of that. And the only time that I've ever seen anybody be able to book him well as like a, a common regular attraction kind of guy and build him to the top was that impact run. And like, I don't know what it was, but Callis and, and uh, Demore were able to figure out how to push this guy to where like it worked, you know, but it also got cut off maybe kind of short. I don't know. But either way, um, follow that up with the main event of the show, Jun Akiyama versus uh, Eddie Kingston. Dan, give your thoughts here. Uh, I wrote on my, my notes here, probably favorite match. The reality is it was my favorite match. I'm so glad that they did this. Um, admittedly, I haven't seen a ton of Akiyama, and, and I, that's a, a, a sin of my own. I need to go back and and watch uh, more of him. But I mean, this this was so much fun. This is exactly the kind of wrestling I would like to watch on pay per view, and this was given away for free. So, um, but I guess it got me to stick around and watch the whole show. So credit to them. But um, they they really pulled me in with this. I, I think it's great. I'm I'm happy for Eddie Kingston. I'm happy that. They, he's able to sort of have this odyssey against all of these dream, you know, these dream matches that we've wanted to see Eddie Kingston have, and maybe none of us ever thought he would have. So it's it's so cool for me 
as a huge Eddie Kingston fan to see Eddie Kingston wrestling these matches. Yeah, Eddie Kingston, obviously one of the yeah, just all times really all really like honestly in that conversation all time great kind of guy. Um, I don't think it's out of the question even slightly to have him relatively high top half of the GWE kind of situation, like just everything he's done in this career. And as you talked about there, continuing this on this, I think in that conversation already before the AEW stuff started, right? Like maybe we're not supposed to talk about it. I I meant to even maybe like bring it up to you in some ways, but I know that you're influenced and have that background and, and fuck it. Like, you know, one, one shitty person doesn't like make everything that happened not exist anymore, especially the great work from Eddie, but like the Chikara stuff, you know, that he, how great he was there. Um, and just continuing that on here, as you talked about, like getting this this back half of the career where he's getting to have these legendary, you know, matchups and, and things that you didn't think would ever happen. And repeatedly being like a guy who's having the best match on the pay-per-view because you buy into it. And it doesn't have to have, you know, a billion super kicks or whatever it is, kickouts and all that stuff. I mean, there's some kickouts, obviously, but, you know, you don't have to do a ton of them. Don't have to overkill everything. Don't have to just go over the top. Just really solid fucking amazing pro wrestling and big fight feel as you talked about this is what you want to see in the pay-per-view then he's trying to talk the the fucking asses into the seats because he knows he's on the pre-show so he's doing that ace promo that he does at the end of every indie booking that he has um and speaking of have you you guys haven't worked with eddie at all right i don't i would assume not no he was uh no i i never got the chance which is uh is a, is a big regret in in yeah, my life that's a bummer. That's definitely a bummer. But uh, but you know the guy still shows up and works some indie shots here and there for like House of Glory. I've seen him for the um, what is it Lehigh Valley? Whatever. Yeah, Elvac. Yeah, yeah, Elvac. Had him seen him show up there, and he cuts that he cuts that end of the show Ace promo, and he does it better than anybody in the game. And I just think like God damn, like, and obviously he gets it from the Japanese wrestling because it's a lot more common in Puro than it is in America to have that you know into the show at least on television they do it i think on like live shows in the buildings but they don't uh they don't always broadcast it you know they do it like after after tv's off a lot of times on uh on american wrestling companies but uh to see him doing it is always great um get into the pay-per-view proper and this uh, opening steel cage match might be my my match of the pay-per-view i think it's either number one or number two it's hard to say um, it was great, and it was it was awesome to start the show this way too. Yeah, to I go mean, from just... to go from to go from that match into the cage match, they really they really went all out in in yeah. those two matches back to back. It's fucking nuts. It's just huge spots. I think, you know, it's they're playing off of the Sean Taker Hell in a Cell, obviously in a big way. They they reference it in the tights. Uh, Luchasaurus, I guess that's like his favorite. But it's funny because Luchasaurus being this big guy with the mask, my natural inclination is to think of Kane. And that match is obviously the debut of Kane, right? But in my mind, I'm thinking of it's Sean versus Kane, not Sean versus Taker, right? That's like kind of more <laughs> what I'm feeling like. But but uh, but yeah, I loved it. I loved, I really loved Luchasaurus or not. Uh, well, Luchasaurus did do kind of like the 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 Undertaker sit up, the Kane sit up, and yeah. And Jungle Boy responds doing his own, but he does a kip up. I thought that, that was so. I'm just like, yeah, that's the the trademark Undertaker, you know, dead man kip up. Uh, I just thought that that was fucking great. I thought that was such a cool little little spot. Um, but yeah, brutal, violent, 
obviously everyone everyone's big thing coming out of this is just repeatedly talking about the jungle boy jack perry thing whatever and it's just like who fucking cares and yeah um agreed i i remember and i i it didn't really cross my mind until i heard him kind of mention it in the scrum but like i being here in Southern California and going up to NorCal for shows and stuff, I remember seeing Jungle Boy forever. And it's, oh, it's, you know, it's Jungle Boy, whatever. And then it was like, after a while, it was like, oh, did you know that he's such and such kid? And I never really remember like, oh yeah, like it was a thing. It was not a like, oh, he's, you know, Jack Perry's kid or well, not Jack Perry, Luke Perry's kid or whatever. It was like, he was intentionally being called Jungle Boy so that people didn't just like equate him to his father. And when he was yeah. younger, it was you didn't really you couldn't really tell he didn't look like him in the face. And so you just hear Jungle Boy and you see this guy and you go like, oh, yeah, like Jungle Boy, whatever. It's this little kid. He does some cool spots, whatever. And it's like kind of completely forgot about that, that it, a big part of it was that he was trying to not just be like, oh, let's all go see Luke Perry's kid wrestle, you know, and people completely forget yeah. that. So it's like to be like, oh, you can't be Jungle Boy forever. And oh, he's so stupid. He's married to Jungle Boy. It's like, no, you have to keep this in mind. He wasn't being Jungle Boy just because he wanted to be funny Jungle Boy. He was being Jungle Boy because he didn't want people to say, oh, the only reason why anybody fucking talks about this kid is because his dad's famous. Yeah, he's proved that he's more than that. And if, you know, I, I think if if we have to like, you know, try to figure out why they're, why they do it now, it's, I, I imagine he's ascending to the top of the card and you know, to you and I, he's Jungle Boy. But you know, if you're if you're going to start selling pay per views to people who don't know him now, now this is where you can use that, right? You can say, well, oh, that that's Jack Perry, Luke Perry's right. son, and 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 you know, the casual audience is going to be like, oh shit, I'll watch him wrestle. And then again, you see he's extremely talented. So then then you're in anyway, uh, right? Yeah. And so I, yeah, he's oh, go ahead. No, no, that's 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 really it. I, I I like this match a lot. I I think it did exactly what it needed and. Uh, I know, I, I know. If I say this, this is gonna encourage more people to do it. But I, I, when it's a special occasion, I like when the cage match goes out of the cage. I think there's because again, it, it commands your full attention. You're like, they're they're not supposed to be out here, and then yes. they are, and it's great. Yes, and that is another thing that everyone's talking about. Everyone loves to you know dust off this old gem, and I've been hearing it for way too fucking long at this point. But yeah, like, what's the point of the cage match if you just go out of the cage, right? And it's just like. That's the point of fucking wrestling. Like you really do not get how pro wrestling works. If that's the first thing that crosses your mind, because I looked into this at one point and I can't remember who like had the info. It was like Carl Stern or someone, but literally like the first cage match, the first cage match on record has reports of them leaving the cage. And it's just like, it's the ROH thing that I think that people like, you know, don't think about like the first ROH show has the prophecy refusing to shake hands. The whole point of rules and the whole point of stipulations and whatever it is in pro wrestling is that you have them there so that you can break them so that the bad exactly. guy can be even worse. So it's like, yeah, the cage is meant to keep you inside the cage. So what would be the worst thing you could do is not stay inside the cage. So when the bad guy breaks out of the cage, oh, my God, he's such an asshole. And people just get so caught up in like trying to overthink this that they forget the basic nature of this whole fucking thing. It's the work. And that's the whole point. It's like, you know, you're not supposed to do whatever. And it's like real rules in football. Like you never, you actually never break the rules right in real sports, but in wrestling, you do break the rules because you're able to, it's like part of the whole fucking yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I think that's the, the, you know, not to 
I don't want to spend too much time making this comparison, but in you know, I, since it's the World Cup now, I'm, I'm as you say that with rules and sports, I'm reminded of Luis Suarez in the 2010 World Cup, where Ghana were basically you know they were the only home continent team tournament, and they were on the ball out of the net as Ghana's about to score, gets a red card. Um, but they didn't get the goal. And then the Ghana missed the ensuing penalty kick at the end of the game, which sent the game to penalty kick. Sounds very confusing. But ultimately, it you know he knew what he had to do to win. He's like sports true heel. And again, he yeah. broke the rules, but he knew it was going to help his team. So again, there of course, he's not supposed to do it, but he did it. And it's, a, it's an example of, again, rules are meant to be, or not meant to be broken, but when they are, the person breaking them is an asshole. And it's and easier it to boot. Legendary. It yeah, becomes again, legendary. Here we are 12 yeah. years later. I'm talking about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Follow that up. Okay. So this is a match that I think your mileage may vary, but I'll let you start, Dan. What did you think of the AEW trios titles, the Death Triangle versus the Elite? Well, I will say this I love Death Triangle and all of the people in it. The Elite, uh, I think I have just. Uh, I've I've been through it. I, I'm I'm not really I'm not really big on them. I like I think I like them individually, but the idea of the elite and everything that comes with it, I am not the biggest fan of. So, uh, okay, I, I don't I don't really care much for it. Is is the nicest way I can say that? Yeah, that's kind of my point. Is I think that I'm hearing people call this match of the year, clear match of the year. People are excited and stoked for the idea that they're going to do this match six more times. And my opinion is just kind of like. I think the death triangle is better than this. And that's the fucked up and hard part about the young bucks, especially Kenny Omega with them. But really, if you want to you know, go back to this, you talk about kind of more like the young bucks teaming with AJ styles in ROH and in new Japan, but primarily like the ROH thing that they put together and that kind of trios match. And really the young bucks, as I said, that kind of tag team match that the young bucks really popularized on the indies and and you could even go back and say well the young bucks kind of took it somewhat from motor city machine guns who were who were really you know doing it better and i'm not gonna fucking argue with you you're probably right and i honestly agree but um <laughs> that style ha is outdone when you've got the death triangle who take that style and and really take it even further because of just how much better really they are as a unit and mostly how much better Pac is like i think Pac is one of the greatest wrestlers you know of our time uh I the agree. past 20 years you know like just phenomenal at everything and the lucha brothers are game for whatever they need to do and and the death triangle do the elite match better than the elite and it makes me feel like they're being held back literally in the match with the elite so you know that's kind of my takeaway there i agree you 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 expanded exactly on what i was thinking i think at the end of the day death I think with the elite, it's just something about their five moves is just like, I don't know, clean, you know, clean slate, start over, do something new. Like, I know it's their shtick, but for me, I, when I see it coming, I'm like, ugh, like I, I'm letting out audible groans as I'm watching the match. Like, oh, here it comes. And that's not what I really want out of the, you know, the wrestling that I watch. I want to be, you know, I want to be in awe as Pentagon throws somebody through, through chairs. And I, and I want to be in awe as Phoenix does shit on the ropes that I've seen no human being ever do on the ropes. Like 
that's what I want. I don't want, you know, whatever else that is, or the, you know, the, the weird, like nudge, nudge, wink, wink isms of the, the young bucks. I, I don't, I don't care for that stuff. Who is yeah. it for? The, I ask. <laughs> exactly. And the, the weirdest part about it is because it is like, just like really on the nose, but just talking about that, like the, the elite is kind of video game wrestling because, because like you said, they have their spots and they hit them exactly the same perfectly every time, just like in a video game. And it's not yeah. necessarily just to say like, People say that and they just mean like doing a bunch of moves. And that's not what I mean when I say that. What I say when I mean that is exactly that, which is just like it's only certain moves and they always look exactly the same. And that's yeah, the part yeah. about it that is is bad. You know, um, yeah. when they are done to death, it uh, doesn't help anybody. Even them. I don't even think it helps them because sure, people like them and their merch sales are great and everything. But I don't know. At the end of the day, I think you only you can run out of road with something like that i don't know how they have it with more wrestling fans but right um you know because i've i've been i feel like i've been cold on them for for a long time and every every so often they do something that i'm like oh that that was great but you know if i'm looking like if i'm zooming out and thinking about my perception of or my you know affinity for the young bucks it is it is it's never been high it, it's been low for a long time one so one thing, one thought that I had, and I was not sure where to place it, like in the in the review and in the conversation. And this feels like a good enough place to put it, um, because I already mentioned after the match, I don't even know, it may have been after the show, but they announce that this is now going to be a best of seven series with this being the first match of it. And uh, they're going to continue on doing this match with the culmination of the final match happening in Los Angeles, California. Um, and then also on the scrum, they announced that the the next pay-per-view is going to be in Northern California. Um, that AEW, weirdly, as a national wrestling company, and part of this obviously has to do with the um, the pandemic, has been kind of regionally based. And in a weird way, you can see the regions are based on kind of an ace and a top attraction. Um, so that's to say like early on, obviously things are a little bit kind of whatever it's all over the place, but once the pandemic does hit, you have a pretty clear ace of the company in Cody Rhodes and Cody becomes the ace of what we'll call like the daily's place era of AEW. And while he's not the champion, He's kind of the top guy. He's kind of the most over. And I talked about it a lot of times. People expected his matches to deliver as the best match of the show a lot of times. You come out of that and you kind of go into the CM Punk era. And there, it's weird the way that their tenures in the company don't overlap. And the CM Punk era turns into Chicago and AEW overrunning kind of the Northeast or wherever you know you say Chicago is. But they run Chicago a lot. They run in that that general vicinity regularly and they run a bunch of shows and now it feels like with punk gone and the elite kind of winning out in the battle between him the elite kind of become feels like on the verge of becoming what they're going to push as the ace i don't think that they truly are but but i think that it's kind of the idea and then it becoming like the west coast with the young bucks connection to the, to the west coast here kenny omega kind of has always been over on the West coast. And there is a, there's a large Japanese population uh, throughout all of California, especially in Northern California, that it kind of seems like there that's the idea that they're going for is they're now going to run the West coast more. 
with the elite as the as the aces and that's why you end the best of seven with the elite in los angeles winning the trios titles and then moving on from there being the top of the company this is just a thought that crossed my mind but uh you know i'm just throwing it out there and, and i guess dan feel free to comment uh it's funny that you mentioned that because i noticed that uh revolution next year is in california and i was contemplating who would be going against mjf and I fantasy booked for myself Jungle Boy versus MJF and Revolution because it's in California. And I've noticed MJF went against Moxley in, in the show in New Jersey. And we've seen things like that happening before where, you know, CM Punk in, in, in Chicago for all that. As you said, I, I didn't really notice it until now. But yeah, regionally, there's definitely sort of regional based main events going on here. And I, I also have a question for you. So they announced the best of seven series, but they announced that the finals, like the last one was going to take place in uh, Los Angeles. Does that mean they've already like basically said we're doing seven of these? I mean, like they, they've just announced where they would, you know, tangentially happen. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. Right. That that makes more sense. I was like, wait, are they really just letting us know we have to watch this six more times? Yeah. I mean, then why do you care until the last one? Yeah. Right. But it's like, you know, theoretically anything could happen but they're just listing which is also funny because they did that and then they skipped january 4th and everyone instantly was like oh because you know the tokyo dome and it was like you guys you guys really kind of you know screwed the pooch on both ends with this here because not only did you like you just said if you see a list and you're like this match is having six more times then you assume like, oh, it's not really a best of seven. It's just this match is happening six more times. Um, and then you also, when in doing that, you skip January 4th. So then you just tell everybody, oh, Kenny Omega is working the Tokyo Dome. You know, so it's just like, what are you guys, what are you guys doing here? You could have just said, this is now a best of seven. The second match is happening on Dynamite. That was all you had to say. But they yeah, listed yeah, all that's... of the dates and they said like, Did they... the next match will happen here. The next match will happen here. The next match will happen here. That's so bizarre. I, th- I think sometimes, yeah, they, they jump the gun on some things. And, and this seems like one of those things where they're getting out ahead of themselves before where they, before they really even need to be. Um, Luckily, but- and I don't know if you care about a spoiler on this or if anyone cares about a spoiler on this, but luckily they didn't because they're partnered with it, with New Japan, right? And New right. Japan does not like to announce anything early, but luckily it was like relatively quick in between when they announced this and when New Japan made their announcement. I wonder if, if one, you know, if that forced New Japan's hand to say, like, okay, well, now we have to uh, do this because it's very obvious. I mean, it's possible, but it was a like a video package thing set up, and it was on a big show, so it was probably it was likely probably the plan, yeah. anyways. But yeah, yeah, but no, definitely. I, I was going to ask. I know we spent a lot of time talking about the elite, which I'm sure uh, neither of us really uh, intended to. Uh, sure. What did you think about their? Uh, their entrance and their uh, oh. sort of fuck you to CM Punk that they got the the fans to go ahead and do. Yeah, I mean, I remember that they've always just really liked that song, the Young Bucks. That is, you know, from oh, okay. Southern California. So, so, so I'm kind of like I get it, but I also get where everyone comes from with it being like a fuck you to CM Punk. Um, and I could definitely see why they would, you know. But it's also kind of a like top of my. It's it's definitely great like plausible deniability you know what i mean 
because it's like these guys have been linked to this song for a long time but also like you could pretty easily see where that connection is and like you know that it's they're clearly calling him out um the thing I'm, I, you know, again, I see it like the crowd is chanting, fuck you, CM Punk and all this and that. And, and MJF is still referencing all of that stuff. And we'll talk about, you know, conspiracy theories in the main event, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I just go like, God, we're, what, you know, what, what's going on here? It feels like it's all legit and it's punk. So it's really easy. I don't know about you. Cause I, I think you are, you, I think we've talked about it before. You were like kind of into hardcore music in the past uh, or, or were you not? For uh, I would say like uh, on the fringe of it, I guess would be the okay. the best way to say that. Yeah, because I know that we've talked about stuff, but like there's you know the hardcore kids and the punk kids that are like punk or straight edge and like hold a grudge. Like rather than fucking you know being addicted to drinking, they're addicted to fucking having like animosity towards ex friends. Like that's the kind of personality that he has. Um, and punk just fits that to a T, to where it's hard to ever. If there's ever a situation where punk's being an asshole, it's always hard to like give him the pass and and pretend like it's not real like he's working uh because it's just isn't his nature to be a fucking prick so yeah i'm just like is it a work is it not is it a rib is it not i don't i don't fucking know what do you think because it seems like you kind of i thought down to him yeah i i thought i i felt like it seemed like it was intentional based on at least you know how the and I guess the crowd maybe was gonna chant fuck CM Punk no matter what after you know they were coming out but for me I just kept thinking like who is this for who does this help this reaction like yes it's for the young bucks but it's like more towards CM Punk who's not in the company so like at, at what point does and I, you know I guess I felt the same way about the CM Punk chants when they were happening and you know I know it was sort of like a you know rebellious chant but the fuck you CM Punk thing I'm like he's not if he's if he's really gone and he's not there anymore then like leave the memories alone let it be done let's all move on from it, it you know it, it, whatever like i that's that's where i'm at if it's you know if it's not happening on the you know the the product itself why does it why does it matter to you know why is it taking away from what these people are doing and that's that's how i see it anyway I, maybe i'm a you know uh maybe vince rotted my brain a little bit i don't know but <laughs> yeah i can't remember who it was but there was a there was a wrestler who was a regular in PWG. It might have been Candice even who would do the uh, kind of that full hanging octopus that uh, AJ Lee would do that she called the Black Widow. And I can't think of it was a hold that other people would do. And it probably has another name or whatever. But I always just remember this at the PWG shows. It was around that same time that people would chant CM Punk, even though he wasn't there. Um, so at PWG, whenever people would do that move, me and my uh, my sister would chant uh, AJ Lee. Because it's like people should. She deserves chance too. She's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because people were chanting CM Punk at AJ Lee during uh, WWE shows. That was why we thought of that. We were like, you know, if they're gonna chant CM Punk at AJ Lee, we're gonna chant AJ Lee at, at people at PWG. Um, I like that. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. This is a random. There, you know? Yeah. Ahead. A random quick aside here. I was at the, and I'm sure people remember this. I was at the 2018 Rumble in Philly where they did the first women's Rumble. And yeah. nothing, nothing confused me more than when women who were dating or married to wrestlers oh. came in. They were chanting for their significant other and not the person in the ring. And I have never been more like ashamed of yeah. people that I have no responsibility over uh, in in my whole life. I was like, this is, I have, I do not understand the logic and how your brain does this. So. Uh, but I like what you did. 
Yeah. Well, we were just trying to yeah. react. We were being we were being reactionary in a good way. Um, yeah. But yeah, the, yeah, it's fucking it's that was bullshit. And that was really fucking rough. I remember that that Royal Rumble you're talking about. That was depressing. Um, either way, <laughs> you know what else is depressing? No, uh, Jade Cargill versus Nyla Rose. This match got beat up more than I think it deserves. I feel like Jade gets beat up more than she deserves. I think Nyla Rose is really underappreciated for how good she is. I talked about before we even got here that I expected this match to go a little bit longer and Nyla to take it into a brawl around the ring. And then that ends up happening. Um, that said, I mean, I'm not saying it's great, but I'm saying like people need to cool the fuck off because I think Jade is really good for what she is and she's popping ratings. She's doing great on TV. She's drawing in fucking casual fans. And you know, if you're, if you're, you know, a hardcore nerd wrestling fan or whatever, you should be like kind of, I guess at least somewhat into the idea that like a rising ship rides, like raises all tides and like, not even just to be like, Oh, I need to care about the business and and all this, but, but you do because like pizza party does better if the wrestling industry is doing better as a whole. Right. Like, I think you would agree with that. Um, I would, but even, sorry, but even beyond that, like when wrestling is high profile and wrestling is thought of as good, and people are into it, then like there's fans and the new fans a lot of times become the the next wrestlers. And like, you know, the next match that we'll talk about has Chris Jericho, you know, Claudio Castagnoli, Sammy Guevara and Brian Danielson. And Brian Danielson is, you know, the greatest wrestler of all time. I don't think that I'm, you know, I think I hope that you agree. Uh, But, you know, this is I would probably I would probably agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. And Brian Danielson says that, you know, his favorite wrestler and the wrestler that got him into wrestling and paying attention was the Ultimate Warrior, you know, and like Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and wrestling being popular is what made Brian Danielson pay attention to wrestling and then become the greatest wrestler of all time. So like as a hardcore fan, you should want casual fans because the kid who sees Jade today could be the next, you know, Sasha Banks or or. Bianca Belair, the next great wrestler can be a young kid who sees, you know, the ultimate warrior now and then becomes Daniel Bryan. So that's another, like, it's not just about the business being stronger. It's also about that. So keep that in mind. You know, when you say like Jade fucking sucks, I'm like, I'm sorry, Jade's over and she's good enough, but feel free to say what you have to say. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was thinking about this today. Like at one point I was like, when, when should the streak end? And I was like, honestly, the streak doesn't have to end. Like, I, I know, like, again, we, I, I like, there's, there's, I guess there's two sides of this, of course. One being, you know, it's it, like right now there's, there's really no rush to end this streak. You obviously, you know, you want, you don't want it to get stale, but at the end of the day, I think if somebody wants to see you get, if you want to see somebody get beat, that's why you keep watching wrestling. Eventually you may drive everybody away, but for now they're not doing that. They're bringing, again, as you said, new audiences and, I was thinking about it today. How cool would it be if Jade Cargill decides I want to wrestle for three years? Uh, I'm going to go. And then they're like, okay, you can just go undefeated the whole time. And then she just leaves wrestling and she was undefeated. And everybody's like, damn, remember it? Like in 15 years, people like, remember that person who showed up and never lost for three years? Like, how cool was that? And that was it. And I, I'm, I'm all for just at this point, have her never lose. Just, you know, how, as long as she wrestles, keep her, People are winning forever because they've never done it before. So let's let's see what happens. Yeah. Sign me yeah, up. Yeah, and that 
the title. People keep talking about that title, the TBS title. Oh, but what about the TBS title? Oh, she, you know, she needs to drop it and someone else, you know, whatever. But they made this title. They gave it to her. That's it. It's her title. That's all it has to yeah. be. And like you said, it could go for three years. As long as she's continuing to draw ratings and get over, go for three years with her having this title. And then when she retires or leaves, she can just leave and take the title with her. And the title never really mattered. It was just, and I you know, hate to say this because people hate when you say this, the title was a fucking prop. And it was just to make her look like she had more you know, credibility than she does. Because if she didn't have a title around her waist, people would constantly be asking, why when, doesn't yeah, she get she a title shot? After- yeah, 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 and so you give that to her, and boom, yeah, and and it's great. She can stay undefeated. She has, you know, and again, it it helps give uh, you know to, uh, more women's matches to a company that has struggled to put women on their shows. So uh, any any excuse for them to have more women's wrestling and spotlight more women's wrestling, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, and again, like I said, she's not she's not going out here and looking like she's exposing the business really. No. And she's not going out here and stinking out the joint. Is she, you know, the best technical wrestler in the world? No, but like who fucking is again? Yeah. We'll talk does about she, that in the does next she have match. to be? No. Yeah. No. Like, yeah. So exactly. That's it. And you know, whatever, like moving on. I think we said what we need to say here. Um, I'll just say that if you don't like Jade Cargill, you're doing Orientalism or something. I don't even know. Um, ROH world heavyweight title. Chris Jericho, the Ocho. What's that? I said, I will back you on that. Yeah. Yes. Whatever he said. I'm in. (laughs) Chris Jericho, Brian Danielson, Claudio Castagnoli, Sammy Guevara. Um, I thought this was really good. Maybe a bit long, but they had a lot of story that they wanted to tell. um, And so they went through it. I think they could have maybe, you know, cut it, shaved it down a bit. I think people are really, really high on this match while I'm not as high. Um, That said, there was definitely some neat stuff. And, just really impressed with Sammy, another guy who I've seen, you know, early on because of the Texas Indie stuff, always thought that he's just absolutely phenomenal. And like the fact that he's able to be in here with three all timers like these and, you know, Chris Jericho, you can say what you want to say about him. We've we've had plenty of guests on who don't necessarily love Chris Jericho, but you can't argue with, you know, you know the longevity and the the star power and all that stuff. Meanwhile, Claudio and Danielson, I think obviously are bulletproof great wrestlers and, and Sammy didn't feel out of place in here. And Sammy felt like, you know, he was right up there with all these guys. And, and I just, I feel like I've kind of shied away a bit on being kind of a, a Homer, a stand for Sammy, just because I've been such a fan of his for so long, but like he's coming back around, he's really developing. And like, I don't care if his gear looks stupid. You know, he's really fucking good. Sammy is great. A lot of stupid little details in here and the faces that he makes and all that stuff just really accentuate just how great Sammy really is. Um, that said, we've already both agreed Brian Danison, greatest of all time. Didn't matter who he's in there wrestling against. Everything he does is fucking phenomenal. Um, and that's like kind of <laughs> he's the standard. He just really is just that fucking good. Uh, Dan, what did you think of the match? Uh, I thought it was really good for for all the people involved. I think everybody played their part. I think everybody played to their strengths. Like if you asked me before the match what I wanted the match to be, I felt like it delivered uh, exactly what I thought it needed to be. I don't know if that's coming from like the part of me that books matches or the part of me that is a wrestling fan, but it you know fell somewhere in between. And 
uh, I was I was really happy with it. I enjoyed watching it. Um, again, I I mostly wanted to watch uh, Claudio and Danielson wrestle one another, so I got a lot of that, and so I was satisfied. And I, I yeah, I felt like Sammy and, and Jericho uh, were able to do what they needed to do to stand out, while also not taking away from what I wanted to see most. So uh, yeah, I was I think I thought everybody did a great job, and you know, it seems like they're they're setting up. Uh, Sammy versus Jericho, and uh, at some point, and why not? I, I, we'll, we'll see. I think it's time for, you know, I know Sammy's had some problems backstage, but it seems like they're still committed to him. So I, I can only imagine he's gonna, you know, only. I don't know if he'll become ROH champion, but I think he'll definitely uh, have some sort of program with uh, Jericho that will help elevate him further. Yeah, and Sammy's one of these guys who's like, like you said, their attitude problems and problems backstage. It's kind of like. It's that Icarus thing. You just got to get the right mix. He has to not fly too close to the sun because without that attitude and without the way that he is and the way that he can be obnoxious. And and listen, I know, like I said, I've, I've been following this fucking kid for way too long at this point. It's kind of creepy, honestly. Um, <laughs> if we weren't, you know, if we weren't MUFOs, if he didn't also follow me on Twitter, it would it would be even worse. I'd be like some kind of stalker. But at least there's some there's some plausible diet and deniability that we're, we're friends um, like. The guy is just known for being obnoxious and rubbing people the wrong way. And from the beginning, even before it was like how it is now where he's he's got an ego. People like to really say like Sammy's got an ego. It's like, no, no, no. I'm sorry. When this kid was humble and he was like, you know, not trying to like whatever. He still rubbed people the wrong way because there's just something about him that's just it's naturally unlikable. And that's why he's such a great heel. Like, I'm sorry, but like he's a great heel because. Even people who just meet him in real life, they like kind of just end up not liking him and being like, ah, this fucking kid, you know, and the and yeah, that's what that's that's a that's kind of the the Sammy situation there. Um, And, you know, I will say because that comes across like maybe a little bit too, too hard. I'm, I'm capping for Sammy here. We are not friends. He I've never had a conversation with Sammy Guevara. I'm not like, you know, co-opted by Sammy. I just I think he's great. And I think that people like have really started to to it's turned into like it's it's you know it's accepted and normal to like hate on him for no reason and it's just like no he's actually like a a good wrestler like i'm sorry but like that's kind of the whole point of being a heel is you make people naturally dislike you and he's really good at that um you you said earlier they forget people forget they forget that's part of the the gig yeah yeah exactly uh, follow that up, the returning Soraya Knight, Paige, whatever you want to call her, Sweet Soraya Jr., um, Brittany Knight. Um, after five years, seven years, I don't even remember. I think it's five. five. Yeah. Of uh, not wrestling. And uh, she's going up against the perfect person to take care of her because she's a doctor. Um, but, you know, not the right kind of doctor. <laughs> uh, Britt Baker. Um, Dan, what do you think about this one? Um, I'm happy that, you know, Soraya got to come back to the ring. I'm happy that her career wasn't ended the way she thought it was going to end. I don't know how long, you know, I, I, you know, they re, you know, they said she's okay to go. I don't really know how many more matches we're going to get from her. I hope she's able to do what she wants to do and can end her career on her terms. I don't know if she's looking to come back and do 10 years or, you know, or five matches, but whatever it is, uh, you know, I, I didn't really have many strong feelings about this match. It happened again. I, I was, like more happy for her and the, you know, the emotional and, and positive experience she got to have. I didn't think the match was the best, but again, I'm happy that she's back and wrestling if she wants to be, you know? 
doesn't feel like she has to do it to pay bills or anything like that. If this is where she wants to be, this is where I hope, you know, I hope yeah. she's happy. Yeah. What about you? What did you think? I agree with you. I, um, I do. I, I didn't, I like thought the match was, it was fine. It's people are emotionally invested. You've got two big stars here. Uh, I think it's really disingenuous to the people who like super hate on this match and act as if it's like, it's fucking completely terrible and all this. And because of like whatever issues they have with it, because I just feel like, and I hate to do this because you know, it's just, it's kind of cheap, but it's just, Really, fu- it feels really fucking sexist, honestly. Because you get the I, next match, and you I agree. Though. I agree. Yeah, because it's like you got the next match, and you got like Joe in here, and you could say like, "Oh, Soraya is like she feels slow and out of it, and all this." And it's like Joe in the next match is like being covered up by these two young bucks who are like at their physical peak, and Joe is like really in a lot of ways like the same kind of shell of his of his former self. But coming out of the match, people are like. Joe is such a fucking badass and oh he look he killed he fucking destroyed it and this and that and you say whatever you want about the aura this and that but like Soraya obviously has some aura because the crowd goes nuts for her so it's just the same thing but it's like when a woman is doing the same thing as like kind of slowing down older retired leaving wrestling in and out all this and that now oh now she needs to hang it up she can't actually fucking go anymore and then when a guy does that, oh, you know, he's just he's gotten smarter. He's a smarter worker. Uh, you know, he's actually he learned how to just make his aura and his presence feel bigger. And, that, you know, like it just you can clearly see that there is a lane that people accept for older men and they do not give that same lane in that same room for older women. And it's just, yeah, I mean, again, like I said, it's sexism. It's just, yeah, because we're it. still we're, people are still excited about Goldberg matches. And I don't understand why. <laughs> Right. And that's an even more glaring yeah, example. Yeah. Yeah. People are like, oh boy, Goldberg's sick, but they would never, you know, and that's the thing. It's her first match back. Obviously, emotional experience. I'm sure that aura is only going to come through more the more she gets comfortable as she's back. And again, if you don't wrestle for five years and come back, and again, your first match after five years is, you know, on a pay per view. And I'm sure she's been, you know, doing training matches and things like that. But I think, yeah, ultimately she's only going to get better as she comes back because she's been away for so long. And I, I think, you know, hopefully people give her the chance to, to get there. Cause if, you know, if everybody's shitting on her again for what is probably, you know, with sexist undertones, it's it's not really going to help her get there. But again, as I, I don't remember what I said it for earlier, give it a chance, let it, yeah. you know, let it do its thing. Yeah. Well, and it's tough because the the most direct comparison is Punk, who I think Punk was the seven years, and Punk kind of yeah. hit the ground running. And when he came back, it was like he was honestly probably had a better in ring year than he's ever had before, and that was kind of tough because it is like okay, like this guy came back and like literally, but he was never like a really great in ring wrestler, you know. So then when he came yeah. back and and was like really good in ring. It was kind of shocking. It was like, where did this come from? Cause this is not, you know, the punk that I remember, like Jesus. Yeah. It's almost, it's the inverse. <laughs> yeah. But and again, um, she can get there. It's, it's been one match. It's, it's right. I think again, people are, people are going to throw a stone, you know, before the, you know, the story's finished. So let it play out. And, you know, again, after next pay-per-view, maybe, you know, but again, this was fine for what it was. Again, like you know, it's not even like worth giving these people the you know the or like entertaining this sure. that it was bad and she should retire thing. 
Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. And that's a good point. And again, the punk thing is, uh, as I say, it's, it's a glaring, it's a tough example, but it's also like, you know, punk got into it and got in the groove and started getting really good. And it's like, she could do the same thing. Yeah. So let's feel it out. Let's see. Uh, and she's, she, <laughs> I don't even, we should, I shouldn't even be getting into this anymore. You've already, you've already written it off and said we should stop, but she's, let's say sturdier she's heftier than she's ever been in her wrestling career and that's honestly better as an athlete it's better to not be like a twig and like most of her career where she was like a teenager and not even a fucking adult she signed with wwe before she was 21 um she was like insanely tiny and now she's like filled out and actually that could end up as i said make her a better wrestler because being thick and burly and and that is like honestly much better for wrestling so yeah we'll follow that up i'm talking about being thick and burly let's talk about this three-way match with with three thick and burly motherfuckers um yeah perfect is, transition yes this is got this fucking rocked like if if i was gonna say hoot of the night i would say this is my hoot of the night this was the most definitely this one most definitely goes hoot yeah of the night. Under 10 minutes, fucking wild, chaotic. Wardlow bringing the heat as the high flyer of the match, which is great. Um, Willie Hobbs loved Willie Hobbs bringing out the trash talk. Loved uh, JR calling him Willie Hobbs. I like saying it now. Um, it's fun Powerhouse Hobbs. It really is. Um, his trash talk, his fucking getting up in the face. They said, this is a future champion. And I've been saying that for a bit, but in this match, it felt like yes. And not only yes, but also they're co-signing it. On commentary, this guy is ready. He's going to get there. And he feels like a top guy just in the making. Fucking hell. Joe, obviously, like I said, Joe is taking the longest breaks in the match, but coming in for his spots, being the, you know, the 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 Samoan submission machine, being the fucking stealth assassin that he is. Love, absolutely loved the finish. Obviously, it's stupid, but the reason why I loved it was because he knocks the motherfucker out with the belt, or he knocks out Wardlow with the belt, Hobbs is already done from the power bombs, but he locks in the choke, even though it doesn't matter, just so that it's an instant he's out. Like he didn't choke him out, but he's he's out. And I thought that was great, but yeah, Dan, I I feel like I you know got all over you on everything you could ha- possibly say here, but feel free to elaborate. I uh, yeah, I I'm I I second all of it. I think uh, I think this was super fun. This is the kind of shit that I love a sub ten minute match that has three you know. Big meaty men doing crazy shit. I the whisper in the wind from Award Love. What do, I don't know what they call it for him, but uh, yeah. if he's taking suggestions, the Wardlow in the wind is uh, I think a, a front runner. <laughs> um, no, it was awesome. And again, I, I've used the phrase a few times, and maybe I'm beating it to death, but like all the all of these guys have energy that commands like my attention. It's so easy to be distracted in you know at, at home when you're watching TV. Uh, but these guys, when they were on, I was in and I was locked in and I enjoyed every second of the match. And I can't say that about all the matches on this show, but I can say that with certainty about this one. So uh, this was great. Yeah. I would love, I know there's not a reason to do it again as a triple threat, but any excuse to get any combination of these guys in the ring together again, uh, I'm here for. Yeah, why not? Run it back. like that. This match out of all yeah, the matches. Give me a best obvious... of seven of oh, this. Yes, best of seven of this, not this other trios that we've already seen a million thousand times. So, yes, I 100% agree. And this match out of everything on here, and obviously part of it is because you have the ROH TV champion on here. But this match out of everything felt like the one that 
should have the most crossover to where like something involving these three guys should happen on final battle. So yeah, like, yeah. bring this back on final battle. Why the fuck not? Yeah. With ladders. Yeah. Fuck it. That sounds great. <laughs> I would love to see that. Yeah. Wardlow doing that. Yeah. Fucking add, that. add Keith Lee and yeah, oh, let's do it. Oh no. Oh no. You're trying to kill somebody. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, a little. Yeah. Uh, speaking of ladders, I guess this next match had ladders, even though it shouldn't have, because Darby just does whatever the fuck he wants. Yeah. Um, Darby and Sting versus Jay Lethal and Jeff Jarrett. Um, Dan, I don't know what your background is with Impact, with any of this, but uh, feel free, give me your thoughts, give me your 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 opinions, all that. Um, okay, so uh, I was treating this, and maybe this will upset some people, maybe it won't. I was treating this match as if it was a singles match between Sting and Jeff Jarrett. I just sort of pretended the other people weren't there. Um, but uh, it was. It, I thought it was a really fun match. Uh, I did watch uh, a, a fair amount of early, like, you know, probably I would say 2006, 2007 through uh, maybe 2009 of TNA. I would I would check out the pay-per-views. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly well-versed in, in stuff, you know, from, from back in the day in WCW. So... I, I've I've seen I'm definitely more of a, a Jeff Jarrett guy than I am a Sting guy, so was rooting hard for for Double J. But uh, I I thought this was great, and I thought uh, Thatnam Singh, that's his name, right? He, uh, I thought he was great yeah. in there. I thought he really helped keep yes. the flow of things going on, and and really, I mean, I'm sure in some ways this match, you know, was for him, and he really stood out in this match that he really should not like, you know, in if you think about it, wouldn't have stood out, but really, really stood out to me in this match. Yeah, he was great. He was running his ass all around this fucking building, which is nuts for this big, gigantic Indian guy. Like, it's hard enough to walk around these fucking giant arenas like this, just like normal. But just imagine being, you know, an eight foot tall Indian dude wearing way too tight purple slacks. And you're like going from one end to the other so that you're there for your spots. Uh, This is and Dan, you may not know this, but in this house, this is an unabashed TNA, early TNA respecter podcast. Um, Hell yeah. Because Quentin, Quentin got started on wrestling on TNA stuff. And Quentin is, you know, the number one AJ Styles, greatest of all time kind of guy. Um, so, you know, and I, I watched all that stuff, too, when I was younger. And, but you also have to keep in mind that Quentin is like probably 15 years younger than both of us, which is sick and disgusting actually maybe not 15 maybe like 10 years younger than you um but either way it's just like disgusting and and uh inappropriate really um so for me the biggest the big the big big takeaway here was satinam singh as you talked about because satinam singh snatches darby out of the air he has him uh like in a uh waist lock but he flips him around so that he can get him in the proper position because I know that Jeff Jarrett taught Satnam Singh a very special hold for this show because Satnam Singh takes Darby from the side after he grabs him off the ladder, brings him over to the ramp, and he hits him with the eye of the storm. He hits him with James Storm's finishing move, the the spinning razor's edge onto the onto the ramp. And I'm just like, oh, you know that's coming from Double J. You know Double J is like, you gotta do this twisting razor's edge. Like that's the good that's good the move. catch. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was, I mean that was that his, was so awesome. Yeah, he went out of his way to hit it. Like he caught him, he put him back, he grabbed him, and then he did it. And I was like, "Oh my god!" He totally was like coached to do this spot. And then yeah, from there he has to run across the building to be there to catch a dive from Sting. And like yeah, um, 
I'm a WCW guy too, because I am old as shit. Um, so I actually love Sting from WCW, love Sting from like Crockett, NWA kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I always say I've I've mentioned this many, many times, but like my first wrestling memory is Sting, and it's my grandma being a perv for Sting, basically. Um, so that's like my <laughs> oldest wrestling memory. Um, so yeah, like I love Sting, always will, and seeing this motherfucker come out here at this age doing this, and the only thing the coffin drop into the fucking guitar. It's wild. Nuts. That was wild. This is hoopla. So wild. Yeah, this yeah, this is hoopla. It's hard to rate this because in a lot of ways, something like this is the match of the night because it's so entertaining. There's so much hoopla, but then it's also like technically, is it really there? No. Like, you know, the crowd is into it, but but did it deliver everything you want to see? Was it great? Like, yes, it was. Did it like make the most out of everyone involved? Like, yes. Like, this is why that, you know, Southern style, you know, what Jeff Jarrett comes from vibe of wrestling is so good because like there can be a ton of matches. Every match should really be match of the night in a weird way because every match should be great at what it's being. And this is a match that's really good at what it's what it's doing. You know, it's like, yeah, this is fucking wild all over the place craziness and the one thing that i i tweeted this out but it's the one thing that i do come out of this and i do wonder we've got you know we'll talk about the semi-man event here with the tag team titles but sting and darby man they deliver insane matches every time they always win they never lose why the fuck aren't sting and darby getting title shots they're gonna make they're gonna make separate tag titles for them don't you worry it's coming <laughs> yes. all right perfect um, uh, no, I, I I think you're right. I think it'd be cool to see them versus the acclaim. As the yeah, as to piggyback off what you were just saying, I feel like there's a science to overbooking matches and like the right way. And this is like perfectly overbooked. And 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 I don't say that to like speak down to what I say. Yeah, as as you said, I think this is so well done. Um, credit to to Jeff Jarrett. I think for, for yeah, the you said the Southern style. There's something about this on a card where there's all this other stuff this thing stands out because they again everybody played to their strengths here in this match and it it's fun and it's i playing the most vividly in my mind of any other match on the show so as you said this was the best match in its own sort of way yeah i mean when you talk about the big tent it's the circus like some people their favorite thing at the circus is the clowns right you know like people like the the people can argue and say like the trapeze takes the most work you know or or the elephants, man, they're there. They could fucking crush you with one step. But the guy, you know, that the keeps him in line or the lion tamer, even the lion tamer. Somehow he, you know, takes the most dangerous animal and he makes it his his little pet and all this. But at the end of the day, some people, they come away from the circus and their favorite thing was the clowns. And this is kind of the example of that, where it's just like, like, this might be hoopla and circus and might be overbooked and all that stuff. But like. Some people just like the clowns, man. <laughs> like, you can't argue with it. So, yeah, like, this could be your match of the night. This probably should be a lot of people's match of the night, really, because everyone was perfect at what they were doing. Everything was fucking wild and out of control and chaotic, but also completely in control. It's the This is the point of wrestling, is that you can do stuff like this. And, you know, you can't really do this in any other sport. Um, you know, so, yeah. Um, moving on. Okay, so this is this I I before when we did the preview, I said this was my chalk pick match of the night, right? And this is it's it's a toss up. It's the steel cage match, and it's this, and I can't I rewatched it, and you talked about overbooking in the right way. The first time that I watched this live, 
my reaction was I can't fucking stand how overbooked it was at the finish. Rewatch, I was less emotional. And the crowd is so into everything. And I think that in a weird way, the psychology made perfect sense because, you know, this is even something I said at the time, but it, I think it still rings true. Um, Britt Baker coming out to cheat to help Jamie Hayter win was actually in a weird way a face turn because the crowd loves Jamie Hayter so much. And up until that point, uh, Brit had been kind of shaky with Jamie and they they had their issues in the past. But the fact that Brit came out and tried to like help Jamie win the title was like a weird way of like her endorsing what the crowd wanted, which is for Jamie to win. Um, it was actually like a babyface thing. It's insane to me that I've heard, you know, a take. I won't even I will not, you know, say who it is because I'm being on my best behavior because I have a guest. Um someone like saying like obviously Jamie was supposed to be a heel and the crowd didn't go with it. And it's like, you fucking kidding me. You're, you're just like telling on yourself that you haven't been paying attention. Cause up until this point, Jamie has been insanely over and everyone has felt like hater needed to win the title here because of how much the crowd fucking loves her. She was supposed to be a baby face the whole time. And that's why I say Brit coming out to help her win, even though it was cheating was actually a baby face turn. And that psychology twist is honestly so was so well done that I can't imagine why I kind of didn't appreciate it enough in the moment because I was just like so stuck in my like nerd brain of being like, oh, this is overbooked and that's bad. On top of that, we get shoot blood, which is always going to add a fucking star, you know, a star point to the match as far as I'm concerned. So you get shoot blood, this insane psychology booking that's so fucking layered and a weird point that like, I thought about was that, you know, coming into this, I couldn't help it, you know, again, being somewhat sexist. Jamie Hayter kind of got into this position starting out with like people horny posting about her, which is so weird because kind of people being horny about Jamie Hayter and, you know, her backside online turned into her being coming authentically over and a huge star to the point where this crowd was fucking begging for her to win. And I just want to like compare Jamie Hayter and Tony Storm when it comes to wrestling ability and looks and then compare that to like WWE trying to push like attractive women. And it's just like WWE does not have anything near this level when it comes to talent in ring plus attractiveness. And it's just like, this is what you have to do. You have to find like great wrestlers and then somehow magically the crowd will find them attractive because they're badass. You don't yeah, have to find are, attractive this, women. Yeah. This was a badass match. Like the, this was this was fun. I I can't like if you ask me to go back and pick which my what my favorite AEW women's matches, this might be it. I because not a lot are sticking out. I know they've sort of mismanaged the women's division for a long time, but to, to what you were saying, I think both of these women are so good. And I felt like they went out there and again, it's pretty deep. This is what like match 13 of 15 or something like that on the show. Uh, they went out there and the crowd was into it and, and it was so much fun to watch. And it, I think it really peaked, picked me back up after I figured after the last two matches that I had, you know, the triple threat and Sting and Jeff Jarrett's uh classic there that I was, uh, 
you know, I was like gonna, you know, this was gonna be a cool down, but no part of this match was a cool down. This was this was a hot match. This was great. And so yeah, when I come down to it, like this is my match of the night. Um, this is like could end up in a conversation for match of the year, realistically. So that's why when I said when people are saying there's like four or five match of the years on the show, I'm like, you're kind of crazy. Like maybe this one, but probably not. Um, but still, like this will probably end up in the, you know, on the list, on the big list. If I did like a top 10, it's going to end up in the top 10. Um, and it is, it is also because of just how layered it is with the storytelling. And then on top of that, how into the, it the crowd was, plus the work. And yeah, just this is, this is like the perfect situation. And it, it's kind of what I was in the middle of saying there. It's like people will flock towards the great wrestlers who they believe in. And, they will justify it to themselves <laughs> that they like them because of how good they are. And you don't have to like, yeah, again, try to pick out like, oh, this girl is really good looking. Let's make her a wrestler. No, no, no. Let's find really good wrestlers. And then the people will be like, I really like that girl because she's a great wrestler. You know, like that's realistically a much better. And that's how they do it with the men. And we've seen that for years and years. And that's how men's wrestling works, right? Like, yeah, people should, find should, should work yeah. the same. Yeah, it works exactly the same with women, but for some reason, you know, it, the, the people who run wrestling don't get that. Um, yeah, I'll I'll go back and rewatch this too because I was sort of I don't want to say turning my nose up at the the interferences when they were happening, but I was like, like all right, but I I was like, let's just keep this the way it is. But it, the way you explained yeah. it, now I'll go back and rewatch it through that lens and, and see if I have a, a greater appreciation for it. But definitely enjoyed this uh, match from start to finish. It was it was fun. Yeah, well, again, like I said, that's like a background thing, and you, like you said, you don't really follow the, the 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 company that much, so you don't, you know, you wouldn't follow that. But they they recently had like you know one of those like are they going to break up? They don't get along things between Brit and right and Jamie because it was like Brit was like I need to be the champion, not you. You know, you're my number two. You you know don't you know whatever. So that's why I say like. The fact that Britt went from being like, you're the number two, you shouldn't be the champion to then trying to help her win the title is where you go like, oh, that's like a it's weird. Like I said, it's weirdly a babyface turn, but it's a it's like going from being a heel to being a heel to help your friend win. So now you're a babyface. It's you know, it's 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 kind of a unique situation. And that's why it's really easy on its face when you're just watching the match to be like, oh, this is dumb, like all this interference. But there's there's like more to it. So whatever. Either way. Um, it's kind of a similar thing where you've got like some some kind of more to it with the heel babyface stuff. Keith Lee, Shane Strickland, Swerve in Our Glory, taking on the acclaimed. Um, Dan, everybody loves the acclaimed. How do you feel about the acclaimed? Love them. I can't remember a time in wrestling where something has gotten over so organically and has been so like widely, I, I don't know if I see people saying anything negative about the acclaim and to just be able to like, you know, through the pandemic, build this tag team up from, you know, I know, you know, I think they signed it in the company like late 2020, yeah. right. They're through, Yeah. To within two years, be this extremely popular, maybe one of the most popular acts in the company and to just get there from, like organically without it being shoved down anybody's throat and, and everybody getting sick of it. People are into it. And to just see people into it. So satisfying. I know they have some hometown support in, in that area too, but I feel like everywhere they go, people, you know, everybody's in and it's awesome. Yeah. Well, no, you say that and it's not even just that it's organic. 
it's like or that they weren't shoved down people's throats it's like the crowd had to beg for them yeah they had the title yeah, match and... and they lost and it was like the crowd was like no they should have won yeah you should have yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 um, that was f- fantastic what did you think of the match uh, I I enjoyed it, and I think I think like I enjoyed it in in two segments. The the one I'll, I'll go to the end first. I like that uh, Swerve and Keith Lee are split up because one the matches they'll have together will be great, and uh, I'm excited to see both of them do separate things. But also, I feel like you know the acclaim needed to have this match, win this match, get that out of the way, and now like I'm excited. I, I think I'm like looking ahead after watching this match because. But I but I enjoyed it for what it was. But I'm excited to see what they do down the road, the two, because I know that this this run for the acclaimed is going to be a long one, and it was sort of like the first stop on their uh, championship uh, run here. But I I think they did a great job. I like the the pliers coming back into it. I knew that was a thing that they were doing. So uh, I appreciate that Keith yeah. Lee has a uh, has boundaries as to what he's willing to do to win a wrestling match. Yeah. What about um, you? What, what are your uh, thoughts? Obviously. Obviously, his wife doesn't have boundaries and she went back to WWE, but, you know, whatever. She's willing to take more punishment and, and degradation than Keith. Um, Yeah, but uh, I agree with you on everything basically you said there. Um, I think, yeah, it's, it's it's tough to look at because I'm still I've I still think that the acclaim need to be established in a certain way, even though they're insanely over. I think that there needs to be more. They need to get more like bigger scalps, which. God damn it. I'm just, I just naturally say that and I always feel like I shouldn't, but either way, um, they feel like they need to get some like bigger, like resume building wins over bigger stars. Um, but yeah, as you said, like it's been a couple years and they've really like built up to this. It's insanely, you know, natural the way that it came through during the pandemic. Um, I've taken my victory laps. I don't need to continue to talk about how I kept saying that these guys on dark were going to be the next big thing. And, and and how I knew that this was working and how I've been following Max Caster since uh, Create a Pro and the Shook Crew and and White Girl, who I don't know if people know her, but uh, she were, she's also signed for the company. Um, you know, like all of that. And, and uh, and you know, I, you know, I don't need to take those victory laps anymore. Everyone knows. Everyone knows that I was right about this, just like I've been right about so many things. Um, but yeah, like to say this feels like a. Uh, it's honestly still really early in their title reign. And I just get worried because I think a lot of people were talking like, oh, they're going to lose the titles. But this match has happened three times so fast that it feels like it's been like whatever. But but it is still early and there's still a lot left for the Acclaim to do. And and we're at the point where like Dave Meltzer is saying like, oh, the Acclaim shouldn't lose to FTR while people are going crazy. And me and Quentin kind of talked this over recently where it's like FTR does not need to win the AEW tag team titles. Like, Everyone is really pushing this story because they've got all these title belts. Oh, shouldn't they have the title belts in AEW? They're AEW and they're an AEW act. Why do they have title belts from all these other companies and not AEW? But it's like, in a lot of ways, that's a really cool story that you can tell in wrestling because you can say when they lose all the other titles, they can be like, yeah, we had all these other belts, but one thing that we never had was the AEW tag team titles. And now we want to prove that we're like good enough to have the titles here. Right. So you can still build, build that. So like, you know, Oh, it's neat for them to have all the titles. That's like, yeah, that's one story, but there's also many other stories that you can tell. Um, I thought the acclaimed looked as good here as they've ever looked really. Anthony bones is continuing to prove just how great of a, not just 
how great his wrestling looks, but his selling is amazing. Um, and one thing that I thought I heard mentioned, and I can't say where, but I definitely did hear it mentioned that like even his arm looked less pumped than normal, like on the side with the shoulder injury. And I had I I noticed that. So it was like when I heard someone else say it, it like reinforced it. So I should have just said it myself, but it's been so long that like probably plenty of other people have heard this. But when um when he came out, I was like, okay, that shoulder injury is I know it's a work, but I think he's committed to it enough that he hasn't been working out on his left arm so that it really looks like like that side is weaker on the right side, I should say. Um I'll so have yeah, to go back I, and look for that. I didn't notice it, but that's in- insane attention to detail. So shout out to them if yeah. they did that because that's awesome. Yeah, his right arm looked less pumped than normal. And I was like, I noticed it earlier and I was like, huh, that side looks like less worked out. And I heard someone else say the same thing. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm not crazy. Um, so yeah, his shoulders fucked up, so he wasn't working out, whatever. Like that was great. And then yes, swerve. The, again, as we talked about, this is a TNA household. This has also been a Swerve Keith Lee household where we bo- think that both guys should be top stars. And Swerve feels like he's got the the A line into being like a, a top star in this company. Keith Lee could definitely be there now, but I guess we got to talk about the main event and then we can really talk about what comes out of that because a lot of things changed now that we don't end up with. I was really predicting that we were going to end up with an MJF. Uh, as a babyface champion situation here, but we go into Mox versus MJF, um, the AEW World Championship. The match itself, I mean, Moxley is the fucking guy. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, anyone who gets to get in the ring with Moxley should basically thank him for giving him their match of the year. Moxley, at this point, it feels sewed up. It does. It does feel like the back half of the year kind of fell off. And I think as I kind of break things down and start to look at stuff, it's kind of tough. But I really do feel like the chalk pick is that Moxley is the wrestler of the year. Like, I don't know, Dan, what do you think about Moxley, his output and kind of the wrestler of the larger wrestler of the year conversation for as much as you've been paying attention for 2022? I I feel like Moxley's a, a, a great pick for that. I think this match was so solid i think it did exactly what it needed to do for both guys up like the end you know is obviously they they went a different direction and whether that's good or bad we can we can talk about obviously i'm excited mjf is champion but yeah i, I think john moxley has been so important for AEW. and like i remember hearing those interviews of him when he left about what what he hated about being in wwe and for him to like come to AEW and be able to lead AEW, even in the, you know, most recently after, you know, the CM Punk situation to come back, take the belt and stick around a little longer. I feel like he's invaluable in the ring. He's invaluable out of the ring. And to like, I, I'm sure he's going to take some time off now. Um, but I, 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 so. I definitely, yeah. I But uh, yeah, for his sake, I hope, you know, he's, I think he's made his case as to why he should be considered for, one of the best wrestlers of the year, if not the best wrestler of the year. Uh, I don't think yeah. he needs to wrestle, you know, any more matches this year to prove that. Um, as you yeah. said, I think he's been great and he's been doing it on, you know, multiple fronts. He's been putting in great matches and different, you know, even with GCW has been putting on good matches. So um, yeah. it's, 
like I said, it was really hot for the first half of the year. Second half of the year slowed down some, but part of that is probably the GCW AEW break kind of thing. Um, but he still had a couple of matches and then eventually dropped the title to, to Nick Gage. And it, in what I thought was a really good match, you know, it had some, it had its issues, but it was still, you know, yeah. And Moxley and it doesn't matter. Moxley's always great. Yeah. His, his, again, it's, I've, I've mentioned it a few times, but like, yeah, something about Mox, you have to watch when Mox is on the screen, you're watching and, and yeah. you're, you're believing everything Mox is doing. him. I feel like Mox works at a level that, at here, I think Mox is work, working at a level that WWE never even, you know, considered he was capable of. I remember, like, I was put on to John Moxley from watching him in WWE first and then went back and watched his indie stuff. But I remember seeing early John Moxley and thinking, like, this guy could be the guy in WWE. He could be the best wrestler in this company. And to see it taking shape years later when, you know, he gets out of the, you know, the, the shackles of WWE – it's it's amazing because he, he's living up to the potential I think so many people saw him have and I'm sure to some extent he's exceeding what people expected of him. Yeah, and then you've got again MJF here who's no he's no slouch and he's honestly really starting to to deliver. I don't know how much how familiar were you with MJF in the past and on the Indies and stuff versus like you know the the AEW MJF. I was watching MJF on the Indies. I actually was uh, in attendance for uh, MJF versus Nate Webb at uh, GCW's Lost in New York, and and that oh. that match is one of my favorite uh, like live wrestling uh, experiences I've, I've ever been a part of. Was watching that match where uh, the lead singer from We Just came out and hit him with a DDT. That was uh, yeah, that was so much fun. I so I I've always believed that MJF deserved to be at a stage like this. And I'm, as I said before, I'm super thrilled that he's uh, going to have a chance to lead AEW for a little bit. Yeah, and like some, like I feel like Dan of all the people in the world, you get it. Like when it comes to like MJF, where it is like just how how great he is as a wrestler because of just how great he is as an entertainer. Right? Yeah, it's not. Yeah, just he's about, super like, entertaining, and every you know, I remember yeah. seeing people saying that he he went and. Um, he, you know, like, oh, MJF took my phone and, and Venmoed $20 uh, to him and then gave <laughs> me a shirt. And I'm like, yeah, this guy is the best. People are like, he can't do that. That's fucked up. I said, no, that's that's on a different level. You'll never yeah. forget a performer like that. He's taking it to an entire new level. So, yeah, I think MJF is so entertaining. He's phenomenal. When he talks about himself as like a generational talent, it's really hard to argue. Like there is there's something special about this guy right now. There's something special about this guy in general. And again, like, you know, the background and the and the talking to people and hearing the stories and interacting with people who have worked with him and stuff like it's not I've never talked to MJF. I don't really care to. I like I really enjoy being able to just be a fan. But all the other stuff that I've always heard about this guy, it's just I it makes it hard for me to not absolutely love him, you know? And yeah, like this match comes out great. The selling, like one of the best, like his facial selling is great. His, his, his in-ring work is stiff. He keeps stuff basic, but I've talked about it in the past. Like he can do, he's can do the spot stuff. He's done the spotty stuff. That's why I would really love when we come out of this with the opening match and the main event with the, MJF and Jungle Boy, I would really like them to go back to that because MJF 
versus Jungle Boy is kind of, kind of like the biggest examples that MJF has ever done in AEW of really like showing people that he can do all that stuff. He can do all the big moves and all that stuff. And I would love for them to go back there at some point. You know, it doesn't have to be the next thing, but it can, we can get there eventually because, yeah, like two really homegrown guys, you know, the pillars of AEW. Just ask, ask MJF what that means, you know, um, and uh, and see that. No, okay, so so let's do you want to talk about kind of the, the finish and, and what it means and all the weirdness of that? Or what do you think? Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not sure what to make of it. Um, I was trying to like get a sense and, and gauge what other people thought this was going. I, I'm confused because I, was was any of this teased on AEW TV prior or was this a complete like out of it the was blue? Somewhat. It was like there was a, so there was like some promos between MJF and Regal in the past where they talked about like Regal explained to MJF like the difference between him using the ring and when Regal would use the brass knuckles being that MJF used the ring because because he needed to and William Regal used the brass knuckles because he liked to. Oh, right? okay. It was like kind of the thing. Um, and then there's like MJF like saying like, I'm going to prove myself. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to, you know, do all this stuff. I'm going to like, I'm going to, to, I'm going to earn it for once in my life. Like that was like kind of the whole story with that. There was a lot of weird teasing with the fans really getting behind MJF and wanting to cheer him because coming out of the punk stuff, basically MJF was the most like openly talking shit kind of guy on the show. Right. Where I, punk... Yeah, go ahead. I, I saw where he came out in Buffalo and was wearing the Josh Allen Jersey and, and, and yeah. was like doing the, that, that I thought that was brilliant. That was, that was so, so much fun to watch. Yeah, so that stuff is all connected. Like, so, um, when when Punk won the title, right? There was like the night that MJF like no showed and then did show and lost to Wardlow. The next night or the Wednesday night after that, they were at they were at Dynamite in L.A., which I went to the show, and they did like this weird work shoot thing where MJF came out and cut that. Yeah, you probably know about this. He cut like a shoot promo and talked a bunch of shit about um, the company and Tony and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And like, yeah, he barely came back and won the dynamite ring and all that stuff. So so kind of the build was like off of all that. And the crowd wanted to like cheer for him. And yeah, so it was like kind of like, yeah, like it was like MJF is like a heel, but he's a baby face. He's got these like group of people with the firm and Stokely Hathaway and uh, and he was gonna like prove it, but they like teased like, don't use the ring and and be a man and and earn your own keep against uh, you know Moxley. And then Regal comes out and tells him to put away the ring. Yeah, and then he puts away the ring, and then he loses. Right, he was tapping out, but the ref wasn't there to see it. And then and then uh, it all switches around, and Regal throws him the the brass knucks. He uses them. And then he wins. So that's like kind of it. There's like, you know, it was kind of tough. The The build was kind of rough because it felt like it was like focused and then it kind of lost focus. And then it was like meandering and, and 
it was like one of the few times that I've seen a bad Moxley promo in the past, like however many years, because, and I basically, my theory is that just Moxley had a hard time with the promo because he kind of had to like bullshit. And Moxley is really only good at promos where he's just like being a straight shooter and just saying what's actually happening. But from the view of Moxley, but he was like having to deal with the storyline that was confusing. And then like, he didn't want to like, you know, give away that what was going to happen on the pay-per-view. So it just ended up in this like jumbled mess where he gave like kind of a bad, gave kind of a bad promo. Um, So yeah. And then coming into this, obviously you saw what happened and that's like basically the most of the background that I can give. Oh, okay. So, I mean, that's, that, that fills it in a fair amount. So yeah, it's, I think to some extent they probably wanted to retain as much of the shock value as they could. And, left it sort of gray but i don't know it, it's interesting because there is uh you know there is the blackpool combat club which without william regal is not the blackpool combat club it's right just the combat club um i think didn't they just start selling uh like kits like football kits for uh yeah, blackpool yeah. Combat for the world club, series so. yeah 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 so how do they uh how does that happen we're, yeah, well, I guess you know what they'll they'll make any money. If any, you know, wrestling will will take whatever money right. it can get. Um, so what? I don't know. I, I don't. Oh, go ahead. I don't know where it goes. I, I I'm I'm wondering if you know after winter is coming, if you know one of the the guys from the combat club sort of step up because you know uh, uh, we could see Danielson versus MJF or, or or something like that. But I don't know. I'm not really sure. And again, I don't know how long Mox's absence is going to be. So it's interesting. Definitely, like, again, sets you up for what What are all the future possibilities that come with this? Where do you think this ends up for for MJF and Regal? So my, my easiest thought, my easiest kind of like, you know, fantasy booking, where does it go kind of thing that, uh, that crossed my mind because I heard a lot of people talking about it. And they're like, oh, you know, yeah, the same thing that you're saying, like, how is it the Blackpool Combat Club if Regal's gone or whatever? Um, the thing that makes the, the 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 easiest like transition so that we don't like you know have to deal with this too much is obviously Mox is gone, right? So he's gonna go on vacation and just be missing for a while. Um, you could write it off because of the 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 brass knuckles shot pretty easily and just say he has like some crazy concussion. He's not here. Blah blah. And then the way that I look at it and the way that like it really makes sense to me is not necessarily that like Regal is on MJF's side, but that this is like kind of a mind games situation where that like Max MJF, like he kind of started this whole situation with Regal talking about this. Like I sent you told me that like I was going to get signed to WWE but I was too young and then I sent you emails and then eventually you blew me off and now I'm going to prove myself like, and I don't need you or whatever. But then like Regal told him like, Oh, you know, if you really want to prove yourself, then you have to like do this, take your shot and do it and prove yourself as a man. And then MJF just like basically completely accepted that and did what Regal said and announced when he was going to do his title shot instead of cashing in. And Regal told him, okay, well, yeah, you already did that. But if you really want to, you know, prove something to me, uh, you don't take a shortcut and you don't use the dynamite diamond ring 
um, and you really like show that you can beat Moxley on your own. And then they went through the match and he brought out the ring and Regal told him, put the ring away and he did it. And then Regal said like, oh, okay. So you listened to me and then, you know, you proved that you're a man or whatever. And then when I sent the, when I gave you the brass knuckles, you used them. So really you're not your own man. And really you haven't proved anything. You're the champion, but you just listen to what Regal tells you to do. So when I tell you that being a man means not cheating, then you listen. And then when I give you the brass knuckles, you use them and cheat because you're not you're not your own man. You're just listening to what you're being told. And that's like basically it. Where it's just like a mind game thing with Regal. And he basically like he can tell the Blackpool Combat Club, like, I'm not on his side. I'm just like, you know, showing him that he's not really able to do any of this stuff on his own. And he's still just a child who's listening to daddy telling him what to do because he thinks that he's like proving something to me, but he's not proving anything because all he does is listen to what I tell him to do. And that's kind of like okay. what I see is like the basic story here. Which is interesting. Cause I feel like it's not something you often see um, out of, of like a wrestling angle. So I think it'd be cool if, uh, yeah, I, I think it'd be cool if, if that's the way it plays out. Because, again, it doesn't make Regal a bad guy it's at the end of the day. Because then, yeah, if, if Mox is going to take time off, then, you know, Brian... Moxley's or, just or, gone. So he doesn't have to yeah. answer to Moxley. Because he fucked Moxley, but Moxley's gone, right? So that makes it easier. Yeah, exactly. It reminds me of the Junior Soprano quote, and I just looked it up to make sure I had it right, was that, you know, in MJF's case, he could be somebody who's so far behind in the race that he actually believes he's leading and Regal yeah. could be the guy who's pulling those strings for him. So exactly. yeah, I that's think exactly that the fun, point. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that would be a fun story to see play out um, and how it would evolve MJF's character. Cause ultimately it could make MJF a baby face. If he still has to prove he's a man or he decides, you know, whatever his version of a man is, you know, doesn't really, you know, care for what Regal says. I think that that's a cool right. story. If they, they want to go that route. I don't know if they will, but I, I'm here for it yeah. if they if they want to tell that story. Yeah, I doubt that's where they go. But to me, that's the story that m actually makes the most sense is, and is the most interesting, which is that Regal did this to prove that MJF did not, he didn't not cash in his chip and not use his ring because he's like, he's actually the guy. He did all that stuff because all he's still doing is just trying to prove himself to Regal, which means that he's still not his own man. And I just think that like that's that's a much more interesting story. And it is a way to continue the Blackpool Combat Club because part of the whole thing with Regal and the Blackpool Combat Club is that these motherfuckers really kind of can't trust him because he's a villain and he always has been a villain and they know that he's a villain. Everyone in the Blackpool yeah. Combat Club has feuded with Regal in the past and they know just how slimy he can be. So like you can't you can't be like, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, we trust him and he's such a great guy. No, he he's a fucker. And he's always been a fucker. Yeah. And, you know, like, you just have to accept that, like, do you want to try to get your knowledge from him and risk the fact that at some point he might turn on you, but it's still worth it to be close to him? Or do you want to just, like, shun him altogether? You know, and that's, like, kind of the test there. Yeah, and I think I think that uh, I think that's that's a really interesting story. And I, I even thinking about how ultimately, if like, we're really getting down to it. He influenced MJF could have taken his shot any day he wanted and, you know, 
you know, cashed in on Mox after he'd gone through some grueling test and just quickly won the title. And instead, he had to go through a whole, you know, 20-minute match with Mox where he didn't even really have the final say in whether he won or not. Regal helped, yeah. you know, influence that. So really, yeah, that's some some uh, next-level shit from William Regal to, to be this manipulative while not being in the ring. Yeah, exactly. But either way, Dan, <laughs> did you watch the scrum? Did you listen to it? I did not watch the scrum. I didn't get to. I didn't get uh, to do it. Did uh, it? It sounds like though that the scrum didn't outshine the uh, no, no for the first time in a couple months. So credit to them for figuring yeah, out I, how to uh, keep the scrum in check. I rushed to listen to it last minute before we started recording because because you had mentioned how excited you were for it, and I was like, oh, I haven't listened to it, so I have to go out of my way to listen to it. And then I did, oh, sorry, and then now you have it. No, 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 it's fine. I would have just listened to some other bullshit podcast, so it doesn't matter. Um, either Any way, highlights? I mean, we talked particularly... about uh, yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned it in in parts before. Yeah, there were some there were some things that came up, but nothing really big. Like you know, like yeah, the uh, MJF did his thing. Everyone was talking. About I saw that. his was... thing. Yeah. The, the the only reason that I recommend people listen to the actual scrum or watch the actual scrum is just how much of it is like misrepresented, like how much of it is like misquoted in other media places. It's like it's really good to listen to the real thing to actually get the what it actually said instead of just what people say it said. But otherwise, I, there's not much that was worthwhile there. Um, But Dan, feel free to uh, if you want to plug anything, you want to say anything before we head out. Last thoughts, anything like that? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. This was this was a this was a, a confirmed hoot, dang hoot. Um, this was great. It it was fun to sit there and take notes on watching wrestling. I haven't done that uh, for like a televised wrestling show in in years, so it was fun to dust off the the cobwebs there and 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 give it a, another go. Um, I thought this was a fun show. I. You know, didn't I, I've I've watched some AEW shows where I've left thinking, oh Jesus, I can't wait for this to be over. But I did not have that uh, with this show, so credit to them. Um, and I guess for for Pizza Party Pro, we've got uh, Pop Pop coming up on December 29th in Worcester, Massachusetts, starting at 3 p.m. Streaming on IWTV, featuring Tony Deppin and Kennedy Copeland versus Lufisto. And um, I'm gonna say it; it's not announced yet, but Maybe the most important and true to form pizza party match we could ever do will be taking place at this show. So stay tuned on our social media to see what that is. Uh, we're at Pizza Party Pro on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we just joined Hive. I don't know if by the time this drops, people will still be using Hive, but we're at Pizza Party on there. So shoot us a follow and and you know to help us determine if that's a worthwhile platform uh i guess my personal i'm at the pizza dan on twitter but who knows how long that will be around so uh that's where you can follow me to see me uh tweet about the world cup i guess is what i would be tweeting about now um other than that uh yeah that's pretty much it thank you for having me this was uh, a blast yeah of course it's always a pleasure always a treasure um i like that yeah, yeah, I got that from a former backyarder, Morgan Webster. Um, oh, legend. Love him. Yeah, all time. Um, 
I'm so used to Quentin closing out the show, but you had a ton of notes and I feel like I feel bad because I talked a bunch. I hope you got to most of the notes that you wanted to talk about. Um, I did. And if, and if I didn't, it was really okay. I was like, well, that wasn't really a, that wasn't really like uh, anything sure. worth sharing anyway. So if, sure. if I didn't get to say some things, it's really, really okay. Well, I'll just recommend people definitely need to check out pizza party. People need to uh, definitely follow out, follow the podcast at Q and TR, um, not Q and tear. As some people say, I like it though. I do like <laughs> saying it that way. I think it's cool and I'm a big fan of it, but it's just not what it actually is. Follow the podcast network at WDKPN um, and give us the Ko-Fi. Sign up to the Ko-Fi. Send us some fucking money. I think it's coffee. I've always liked Ko-Fi more than coffee, but um, that's just because I don't drink uh, caffeine drinks, just alcohol drinks, which I've had too many of at this point. And that's why my nose is stuffy and I'm, I don't know if I'm slurring. Probably not. Um, yeah, I don't think so. Eh, either way, uh, do all that stuff that I just said, which is follow and give us money. Don't, it's not, none of that money is going to come to me. Uh, we'll be back next week. We're going to do the, you know, we're going to do the thing that you guys want us to talk about, you know, the stardom shows, uh, which is like also the stardom new Japan show. Um, but it's mostly about stardom. I'm going to go, I can smell some food that smells decent. It's late here. It's even later where Dan is. So I'm going to let Dan go. Um, and Oh, I got to do the thing. I got to do the thing that I keep doing Quentin to do. So go to Ko-Fi coffee, give us the money so that you can fund our trip um, to taste pizzas uh, from all around the world. Good night. You got to do that.